Welcome to Econoday Unplugged. Each week, our expert team explains the relationship between economic announcements and market reaction. For over 25 years, Econoday has provided value for the investment industry, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Econoday provides solutions for macroeconomics, sovereign debt, agricultural commodities and historical data, all delivered by API, XML and HTML. Connect the dots with Econoday. Subscribe to the Econoday Unplugged podcast and go to www.econoday.com to follow market events. Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Wednesday the 19th of June 2019. Mark Pende is across the pond stateside, Brian Jackson is in Sydney and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. So, albeit with an inevitably wary eye on global trade and increasingly in the light of recent Gulf developments, geopolitical issues, financial markets this week have refocused on the central banks. We just had results of the June FOMC meeting and we're only hours away from knowing what both the Bank of Japan and the Bank of England plan to do next. So, let's get going then with Mark. What's hot off the press from the Fed and in particular, were there any surprises from, from what Mr Powell had to say today? Well, I guess the surprise, if there is a surprise, is the culprit, um, and that's business spending. Uh, what we have is drag out the old word sea change here. Uh, the Fed has really been turning on a dime for a monetary uh, for a for a central bank. They uh, were raising rates in January, uh, in December, in their January meeting. They shifted to wait and see. Uh, the last two meetings was this is a good place to be, and now it's not such a good place to be anymore. Uh, and um, y- you wonder how much the market expectations were leading this. How stuff like uh, our, uh, the ECB, uh, Draghi, uh, talking about uh, considering rates, things like the Reserve Bank of Australia coming out uh, very strongly in that regard, um, and. The I think the the force of the economic uh, explanation of such a dramatic change I'm not sure was really there. Uh, uh, Powell underscored that con, um, consumer spending is reliably strong and that's the bulk of uh, of GDP. He did cite without you know it's it was a grim it was a low key even for a Fed it was even it was a sad funeral. I mean it was very low key. Um, and they cite, and he's, and so they never cite. He never cites anything with any spe- specificity uh, to avoid any political issues, and but he did cite uh, trade, uh, uh, you know, slowing in global manufacturing as uh, as key uh, readings, and then turned back on business uh, investment. But if you look at the latest data. Um, and the things he's citing where uh, were possible, we've been talking about this, uh, the seven, Boeing 737 MAX and the implications, still unclear of what that means for the man, U.S. manufacturing sector. But if you look at uh, core capital goods um, uh, in, in the last data, they have definitely flattened at a year-to-year base, uh, edging into um, uh, small declines, uh, uh, overall uh uh, durable goods edging into small declines, excluding capital goods, but but capital goods are still growing, just not very much, uh, at 1.3 percent year on year uh, in the latest data, which were for April, which was pretty low, uh, the lowest in several years. But still, there there have been other readings that have been low, and it's still growing. Um, and uh, it, it's not like an emergency situation, it, you know. Uh, but it became, it was heightened up, it was put in the 
on the platform as uh, as a, a, a negative area. So um, the Fed is definitely shifting gears. Uh, it also he also said in his um, at the very end of his press conference on a question uh, for Market News was uh, is the um, balance sheet in play? I mean, they've been in quantitative tightening. Could they shift back or neutralize that or, or go back into quantitative easing? And he wouldn't rule it out. He, in fact, said that uh, we're going to, you know, uh, the balance sheet is part of one of our tools and it's going to conform to our needs. So um, we have this, like I said, a sea change and it's still unfolding. They have a, only one rate cut penciled in for uh, next year in their quarterly FOMC um, forecast, which he downplayed the importance of. But uh it looks like it's just right in line with the global uh, situation that uh, both of you guys cover. So in, in terms of the, if I'm right, we had the updated FOMC forecast today. That's right. So, so um, were they very different from the previous set? Um, to the extent that they actually sort of justify this apparent, you know, what's going to be an easing in the, in the future? Well, you know, it. Um, it, they had a few notable uh, things to it. Uh, uh, inflation was uh, ed definitely edged lower, but not uh, GDP, which was edged higher, and also not the employment rate, which was which was edged lower. Those are a uh, sign of strengths. But um, uh, for the first time in the seven-year history of these forecasts, a rate cut appears, and that is uh, last year. But it's also cloaked. I mean, they, they don't go out to uh, – to three places, they only go out to one place, so you don't know if it's a, a, a you know, a, a quarter point move or, a, or, or, you know, you, you really don't know what the size of the move is. It look, it's definitely an incremental move, uh, penciled in, uh, a quarter, likely a quarter point penciled in for uh, next year, and that's uh, the first time that we've seen this. But um, Powell uh, has dismissed, been very dismissive of these forecasts, and he really hasn't been able to articulate particularly why. He he said in today's uh, conference that um, it's used more as a uh, inputs into an immediate decision that we we make. It's not supposed to really be a, 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 a you know a concrete forecast of what everyone expects. So uh, which is kind of how it can be taken. It has been taken in the past. So that they may be coming to an end if he uh, throws his weight around. I think he could he could uh, scratch these, which he may want to do. I must say, I find it interesting because presumably from what you're saying, the unemployment rate forecast must be at, well, presumably historically low levels. And yes. yet the Fed's talking about cutting interest rates when if you wind back a few years ago and look at unemployment where it is now, let alone where it might be, it's all about, oh, should the Fed be tightening? So the Phillips curve per se has gone completely out the window. Yes, I would say so. Uh, and uh, well, I, what, at least the Fed has some has some place to go. Um, uh, they uh, they managed in in their several years of raising rates to get to this two point three eight position above um, zero. Um, so without a lot of uh, fuss, they can begin to uh, uh, signal what their policy uh, change is going to be. Um, uh, but um, the uh, other banks, the European Central Bank, doesn't have that uh, leeway, um, and and so that, that's really my question for you, Jeremy. Is is how if if, if Draghi is going to start being uh, stimulative, is it going to be in these unconventional tools that are difficult to explain to, to 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 the public because they haven't been particularly articulated by the policymakers themselves? 
Very fair question, I think, and not only had perhaps have they not been uh, particularly well articulated to the general public, but I also think um, amongst those people who supposedly do understand the measures, there's no great conviction that they worked in the first place. So just to quickly um, point out then that uh, although there was no ECB meeting, there might just as well have been because we've seen some fairly dramatic moves in European bond markets coming out uh, during the course of uh, the last day or so, courtesy of President Draghi, who yesterday uh, suggested that, uh, well, Essentially, the ECB has shifted from a no change in policy unless the economy slows further stance to additional accommodation is going to happen at some point if the economy doesn't improve. So in other words, there's a clear shift towards a, a blatant easing bias here. Now, the, uh, Mr. Draghi also went on to, to kind of intimate that in terms of what the easing might look like, were it to happen, it could be either additional quantitative easing. So in other words, a, a reopening of the old asset purchase program, which they only ended at the back end of 2018. So it's only been shut for, what, less than six months now. Or it could indeed come out in terms of a lower interest rates. And that would really go against what they used to say when they've, they've really intimated that zero uh, percent interest rates, and that's where the benchmark referee rate stands at the moment, uh, was pretty well the bottom line in terms of a lower bound as they see it. So I think, yes, it's a perfectly fair question to say, uh, what can the ECB do now? They don't really have that much room on interest rates. It's questionable as to whether pushing interest rates into negative numbers rather than being at zero, will that make much difference? They're already throwing trillions at the Eurozone economy. Um, they maintain that that's actually provided some support for growth. And I think to be fair, that's probably true. But at the end of the day, they're not meeting their inflation targets. So I think to me, it seems that the, you know, the bottom line really for the ECB is, uh, is it the case now that the relationship between between inflation and economic growth has changed sufficiently that the inflation target itself is simply unrealistic. Mm. Is it possible to get close to you know, a 2% inflation target? Perhaps not oh, anymore. Uh, Jeremy, real quick, we have to bring Brian in, but just yeah. uh, I just want to ask, um, as the policy impact, is there, uh, like here, um, when rates were so low, uh, uh, retirees weren't able to uh, earn very much uh, or anything at all on their uh, savings, traditional savings accounts. And this became a political issue. Uh, is this the same in Europe? Um, yeah, I suppose we've got to say in terms of certainly for the more elderly members of society, it's been an issue for some while now because rates are so very low over here. Indeed, if you're looking at some of the uh, the yield curves for you know Germany, for example, going out to what, almost 15 years now, we're talking about negative interest rates. So it is a problem for the older members of society. But at the end of the day, I think the ECB's attitude has been, well, yes, there will be some distortions, which we're not particularly happy about. But ultimately, by lowering interest rates, by lowering the cost of borrowing, you know, right along the curve, it should promote additional economic growth, which will generate income, which ultimately makes it better for everyone. But yes, there are going to be increasingly, you know, political problems and difficulties, I think, you know, coming out of any additional cut in interest rates in particular that the ECB might make. And indeed, just it's always worthwhile remembering, of course, that for the more hawkish members on the ECB, so the likes of, you know, coming out of Germany and coming out of Austria, they weren't particularly happy with the extended uh, quantitative easing in the first place. They weren't happy with interest rates being cut as low as they were. So it's going to be very interesting what happens with ECB policy over the rest of this year, particularly since, of course, Mario Draghi himself will be leaving at the end of October. 
Now, another um, country with uh, zero interest rates and perhaps not a lot of room for manoeuvre is uh, Japan. So, uh, Mr. Jackson, uh, Bank of Japan meeting, what might they be doing this week? Yeah, well, I mean, the consensus is that uh, there'll be no change in the policy settings. You know, they're, they're meeting um, just in a few hours. Um, and uh, as you know, they've had uh, that sort of slightly negative interest rate now on hold for, for several years now. Um, but there is definitely discussion that, uh, that they might have to do more, uh, particularly uh, if we do see the Fed move uh, in, in the next few months. And if that has uh, an impact on the dollar and, and sort of pushes up the yen, hurts uh, Japanese exporters, then you might see increasing pressure on the Bank of Japan to act. Now, it is interesting that you know, we had um, BOJ Governor Kuroda. He uh, actually gave an interview last week. And his view was that, um, no, we're, we're not running low on ammunition. We've still got um, options uh, available to us to, to, um, you know, to, to do more stimulus. But he uh, believes, at least for now, that that's not necessary. So he's still reasonably um, you know, uh, optimistic about the medium-term outlook. He thinks that um, you know, we are going to see a bit of a pickup in, in global growth. And um, you know, he's still... Uh, Against all uh, uh, recent experience, he's still expecting that you know that inflation target is going to be met eventually. So, Brant, what question? What's kind of the main focal point now for the BOJ? Obviously, they got the inflation target, but does it come down to you know policy at least at the margin is becoming particularly susceptible to changes in the level of the yen? Yeah, I mean that that's always a, a big focus, obviously, and. Uh, you know, I think they are definitely just concerned about the global trade situation and, and you know, the fact that they could be damaged quite quite significantly if, if the yen does go up too high. Um, it, it's interesting. We've had this uh, over the last week, uh, trade numbers from China, Japan and Singapore. Singapore, offer, you know, often a, a very strong barometer of regional trade flows. And they're all showing, you know, as you would expect, some significant weakness uh, over May, uh, not just... In, in exports, but also imports, you know, it's just, it's happening on both ends. Trade flows are just uh, uh, contracting all around the region. Uh, and so, and that's that's a big concern, obviously, for, for policy makers right across the region. Can I ask you a question on, on China? Again, taken on what you're saying about trade flows. Um, yeah. if, if I got my numbers right, if I scribble down here um, earlier on today, the latest figures for May, this is just looking at you know, what's going on with tariffs and so the, you know, the trade flows going into, into the US. So we've got um, exports going into the US as of May on a year-on-year basis down 4.1%, but imports coming out of the US down almost 27%. So it leaves then the sort of the bilateral balance of a surplus for Japan, um, for, sorry, for China, uh, US, about 5.1% bigger so far this um, calendar year compared to a year ago. So does this sort of mean that all the tariffs and everything else that people are talking about at the moment may not perhaps be hurting Japan, sorry, Japan, may not be hurting China perhaps as much as originally expected because for whatever reason, China appears to be getting out of it better than the might have been anticipated? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to read too much into just one month's number. Yeah, sure. But, um, yeah, there's still going to be a, a large bilateral uh, a trade surplus with with, uh, the, with the US for, for China going forward. And, um, you know, it's hard to see that can be completely eroded, you know, no matter how hard 
the, the U.S. administration pushes on tariffs. Um, yeah, it's it's obviously just having a, a also a, a flow-on effect to other um, you know links in the supply chain in the region. So it, it's hard to sort of uh, uh, discern exactly what the the overall impact is going to be. I'd like to add though that politically. Um, even though the uh, the Chinese gap will still remain very strong, it, the direction coming down will be a boost to U.S. GDP. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. Well, since we're talking about central banks, I guess we should have a quick bit on the RBA. Cut interest sure. rates to a new record low of one and a quarter and hints from the minutes that there may be more to come. Yeah, more than hint, really. Um, you know, very clear guidance that you know they they still think that there'll be uh, so, some more scope for rates to to fall over the next few months. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, are now sort of penciling in uh, another 50 basis points at least over the next few months uh, to 0.75%. Uh, you know, the minutes make clear that um, they're really focusing on the labour market. Uh, they think that uh, at 5.2%, the unemployment rate is above where it could be. They, they think that they could get it down well below 5% and still not trigger uh, an unwelcome increase in, in inflation rate. Uh, remember, they actually do want the inflation rate to get a bit higher because it's been below target for a while. Um, but And so that's why they think, you know, we can uh, push on the interest rate lever a bit more, get the hopefully get the unemployment rate down, get a little bit of inflation back into the system, um, but still, uh, you know, not, not too much. So they're sort of playing around with... Um, the, some of the, the, the policy variables and the levers, and they think that they uh, definitely need to get that uh, spare capacity in the labour market utilised to help uh, push price pressures back up. Fair enough. And um, since we got here, Brian, just a quick one on the RBI. Um, since we last spoke to you, we've had another cut there, uh, 25 basis points down to five and three quarters percent earlier on this month. Um, is that the bottom of the RBI cycle? Is there still scope for lower rates, lower rates there too? Yeah, that's that's a little bit more. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think they are closer to the end. Um, you know, they've been pretty aggressive over the last uh, six months, really, since the new uh, governor came into town. And um, you know, we are starting to see the inflation rate stabilise, and perhaps um, you know, obviously, it's always depending um, from month to month what goes on with uh, food prices. But you know, I, I think the uh, the concerns aren't as as um, sharp as they were when um, you know he came into office and so yeah I think you know a good chance that there m might not be much more to do there. Okay fair enough thanks for that. Um, right quick before we finish then we also have a Bank of England meeting this week that will be taking place on Thursday. For the poor old B of E MPC um, they got all the unknowns associated with Brexit still to be faced and of course they now have the prospect of a new Prime Minister as well. Um, in terms of the way the votes are going at the moment they should be whittling that down to two options by the end of Thursday. Um, it looks as if Boris Johnson the former Foreign Secretary will be one um, leading candidate together with A and other. Whoever the A and other is um, the bottom line is that both candidates are likely to be more pro-Brexit 
Brexit than previous Prime Minister Mrs May was. However, of course, it's always worthwhile remembering that as far as Parliament's concerned, they don't want to leave the European Union without some kind of a trade deal. So the bottom line, as far as Brexit's concerned at the moment, is that no one's really got any idea what the final solution is going to be. So the poor old Bank of England, which is supposed to be coming out with a forecast about what's going to go on to the economy, they're just about as clueless as anybody else. So that really means that it's almost certain, <clears throat> hope and hopefully anyway, almost certain that we won't see any kind of change out of the Bank of England on Thursday. So we'll see uh, interest rates, bank rate being left at 0.75%, no change to quantitative easing either. One thing I would quickly mention in terms of the UK, just in terms of the economic data, more and more now we're getting evidence that what was a relatively strong first quarter of the UK economy was really heavily predicated upon a build-up in inventories um, by industry, which at that time was still assuming that Brexit was going to happen at the end of March, the original Brexit date. Of course, now that's been extended until, as far as we know, the end of October. That remains to be seen. But it's left in this industry in the UK with a lot of excess inventories. That's now being unwound. And it looks as if we could see a very soft second quarter GDP figures throughout the UK. So in terms of trying to find out what's really going on over here, you at least as a starting point need to put a straight line between first quarter GDP and second quarter GDP to try and determine some kind of underlying trend. Okay, um, anybody else for anything else since we've been talking for a little while now? No, it's all about central banks at the moment. It is all about central banks, isn't it? And good luck to them, I say, in current circumstances, because who would be a central banker? Um, okay, in which case, then, on behalf of Mark, Brian and myself, thank as, thanks as always very much for listening. So there is a lot going on at the moment, so, so do keep checking in on Econone's global economic calendar to keep up to date with latest movers and shakers in the world of capital markets. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. In response to regulatory requirements under MIFID 2, Econoday has launched the first and only third-party sovereign debt auction database that provides pre- and post-trade transparency. Our machine-readable database tracks historical and immediate auction data of 10 countries, averaging roughly 1.7 trillion euros spread over 700 auctions each year. Our specialists cover cross-country comparisons of rates, spreads, coverage and volumes in trading decisions. Go to www.econoday.com and follow at Econoday on Twitter to learn more.